opportunity to thank Greg and Lori for their hard work and dedication to the job. It's well-deserved. So the good news out of that is they have graciously agreed to stay on until a replacement custodian is found. So if you're interested in applying for the job, you can pick up a packet at the inf- a packet of information about the job at the church office. So Mio, you know, maybe we can slow play this for a couple years. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, so I tell you what, uh, take this time to greet your neighbor. But you know, with it becoming into flu and cold season, if you just want to wave hello, fist bump, elbow bump, or whatever, but you know, take this time to greet each other. Good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to First Church this morning and welcome those that are listening on the radio as well as watching on Facebook Live. Would you please rise and join me in a call of worship? Today's call of worship is taken from Isaiah 42, verses 5 through 9. This is what the God, the Lord, says. The creator of the heavens who stretches them out who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you, and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare before they spring into being. I announce them to you. God who heals, we 
sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We'll shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We'll shout out your praise. Because we were the beggars. But now we're royalty. And we were the prisoners. But now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. Because we were the beggars, but now we're royalty. And we were the prisoners, but now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by
gather around the Lord's table as a way for us to start this new year together. When we start a new year, we often think of New Year's resolutions and starting over and, and fresh starts. But one of the things that the gospel teaches us is that we don't have to wait for a new year to have a fresh start in Christ. Because the scriptures tell us that in Christ we are forgiven and that in Christ we are made new. And that's not tied to a calendar changing from one year to the next, that's an opportunity we all have to experience in Christ every day because He makes us new. Second Corinthians 5.17 tells us that therefore anyone who is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And so when we gather around the table, we are reminding ourselves of that gospel truth, that in Christ we are forgiven. And that in Christ, the old sinful self is put away. And the new creation in Christ is put on. And that is by God's grace and through Christ's sacrifice for us. So as we gather around the table this morning, I encourage you to reflect on that new creation. Remember the, the old self and the sin. Come and, and lay it at the foot of the cross. Confess your sins to Him. And know with full confidence that in Christ you are forgiven. That He shed His blood so that you may be made new. So I invite you to pray with me as we set our hearts and our minds on the Lord's Supper this morning. Father God, I thank You that we have the opportunity to come before You. That even though we are sinners in need of a Savior, even though we have all fallen short of Your Word and Your glory, that in Christ You make us new. Lord, it is not by works that we are saved, but it is by, by grace through faith in Your Son and His sacrifice. And so we come here this morning together, Lord, knowing full well that, that our salvation comes from You and You alone. And so we ask You now to hear us as we confess our sins, as we acknowledge our need for You. Lord, we have all done things and said things and thought things that were not pleasing to You. And we have left things undone that we know we should have done. And so for all this, Lord, we ask for Your forgiveness. 
And we know, Lord God, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. And so it's in full confidence of that promise that we come and that you welcome us just as we are to your table. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. For as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, I've received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. All you who've received Jesus as your Lord and Messiah, I invite you to take the sacrament to your comfort. As usual, if you, uh, if you are able to come forward, we invite you to come down the side aisles. There'll be stations on both sides of the altar table here. If you're unable to come forward for any reason, there'll be a couple elders to serve you in the pews. I invite you to come forward at this time.
body of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken for you that are feed on them in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And this is his blood which was shed for you that your sins would be forgiven. Take and drink knowing that he died for you. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you once again for the opportunity we have to come together around your table to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Lord, remind us of our need for you this day and every day. But also, Lord, remind us that you are the Savior that we need, that in you our sins are forgiven, and in you the old is gone and the new has come. We praise you and thank you for your body and your blood we thank you for the forgiveness that we find only in you. May you fill us with your Holy Spirit to know you, love you, and serve you in this world, this day, and all of our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's continue in a heart of worship. If you're able, I invite you to stand and sing our next song together.
gather together and to glorify your name. Father, we thank you for the chance to come together and to share in the Lord's Supper and to reflect and to remember and to realize the the sacrifice that you made for us. God, you loved us so much that you sent your son to die on the cross, the death that was meant for us. Father, you sent Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice. It should have been us on the cross because our sinfulness put us put him there but he chose to lay his life down for us so that we can have life in him and forgiveness and a relationship lord and that we're brought back into your into you and into your family lord and what a blessing that is father god i thank you for the gift of life I thank you, Lord, that you have given us eternal life, that we do not walk alone, that you are with us, Lord, and that you are leading and guiding us. And we thank you for that. Heavenly Father, we lift up those on the cares and concerns list, and we ask that you would work in their lives. Lord, that you would bring hope and healing and comfort and peace to whatever they're walking through, Lord, whether it's health struggles or just heavy burdens that they're feeling, Lord. And we know that there are so many other people that aren't on that list that are feeling the weight of the world on their shoulders. And I ask that you would help, uh, help them, walk with them, and give them peace and comfort that only comes from you. Father God, I pray that as we start a new sermon series on unity today, that you would bring us together, that your spirit would unify us as the body of believers here in New Knoxville. Help us to become like the first church in Acts, where we're unified in you and more focused on serving you and serving each other and the world around us than ourselves. Help us to pursue unity with you as the head of our our church. Help us to glorify you in all that we do and to come together and worship you. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated, and at this time the children can come forward for children's chat. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. How's it going? How was the first couple days back at school? Good. Was it hard to get out of bed on Wednesday? No? You were excited? You wake up really easy. Wow, that's a gift. (laughs) I do not wake up easily, so I'm a little jealous of that. Okay, so I have a question. Raise your hand if you've ever been to the library. Okay, raise your hand if you have a library card. You have a library card? Okay. So, what does that library card let you do? Check out books by yourself. What else?
You don't really know. You can check out things like books, maybe some movies or magazines or whatever is in there. You are able to check out because you have a library card, right? So did you have to pay for your library card? No. Library cards are free, right? So you go in there and you say, I want a library card, and they're just going to give it to you, right? Now, if you don't return your books, then, you know, you get some fees and things like that probably. But your membership to the library is free. You know, that's kind of a good picture of what it looks like to be in God's family. Romans 8.14 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So the Bible tells us that when we trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we place our faith in him, we become children of God. Right? We become part of God's family. Okay? Do you think God's family is pretty big? Yeah, it's huge. It is massive. But it doesn't matter if you're a boy, if you're a girl, if you're young or you're old. When you become part of God's family, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. It's kind of cool, right? And there's a lot of things that make us different from each other, right? There's things like our hobbies, our interests, our eye color, hair color, all of those things. But you know what all of God's children have in common? Jesus. We all have Jesus in common. Jesus died and he saved us and we have a relationship with him. And no matter what we look like, what, we, what interests we have, we all have Jesus in common when we believe in him. And... The Bible also tells us that when we become part of God's family, that we are entitled to all of the benefits and all of the promises that God gives us in Scripture. So that means that God's always with you. He'll never walk alone. That you are his child. That you have a whole family of people around you to help support you along the way. And those are just a few promises that you get because you are a part of God's family. Nothing. So it's kind of like that library card, right? That you get that library card and you get all the benefits of the library, right? So when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you become part of God's family. And guess what? You get all of his promises, all of his love, all of his family members to come around side of you. And that is really cool. And it costs nothing. Just trusting in him, believing in him as Lord and Savior, and you become a child of God. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? God's love is really cool. Let's, let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these children. I thank you for the truth that we are all your children, Lord, if we believe and trust in you. God, I pray that you would help remind us of that this week, that we don't walk alone, that you are with us, and that you have given us the best family to belong to. We love you, and we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Amen. Amen. You guys can head back to your seats. Thanks, Pastor Tori. I just want to point out also uh, today, I uh, mentioned last week that as we start this new sermon series together, that there's going to be uh, the scripture reading plan back together. So uh, on the back of your bulletin, you see there's a reading for each day of the week. Uh, every time, every week, we're going to have some scripture passages that are kind of focused around the theme from the sermon. So today our, we're going to be talking about our identity in Christ as children of God. And so these chapters that are picked out for you on this reading plan all focus on that and how important that is for us. So uh, I know last week I encouraged you to, to have a reading plan and to keep in God's Word in 2024, just like many of you did with the reading plan in 2023. And if you don't have one, this is a great way to uh, be in God's Word every day and focus, continue to learn about this theme, about being children of God and how important that is. So I encourage you to to dig into God's Word throughout the week this week and continue to look for that in the weeks to come as we work through this sermon series. Our offering this morning is going to support the General Operating Fund here at First Church. So I encourage you to give as you feel led to give. And as the deacons come forward to collect that offering, I invite you to join us as we sing hymn number 201, Grace Greater Than Our Sins.
I invite you to remain standing as we hear from God's Word this morning. Our passage is from Romans 8, 14 through 17. If you're following along in the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1,133. Hear God's Word as it comes to us from Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His suffering in order that we may also share in His glory. You may be seated. I invite you to join me once again in prayer. Father God, we are grateful that we have the opportunity to gather this morning and hear from you. We thank you for the the songs of praise and worship that we lifted up together. We thank you that we had the opportunity to gather around your table and celebrate the Lord's Supper together. We thank you that you are God who hears and answers prayer, and so we lift up our prayers to you together. And now as we gather around your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. And may your Holy Spirit give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So as you've heard a couple times already this morning, we are going to be starting a new sermon series, which is the first one we've done in a while because last year we had... Uh, But over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about something that I believe is very important for us, and that is our unity in Christ and how we are all called as believers to be one in Christ. Now, unity is, is very important for us, especially in a world that is so divided and polarized as the one we live in right now. You can go and, and see it on social media, on news, just in your workplace, at schools. You can see just how divided we are. And yet as Christians, it's important that we maintain the unity that God has given us. And it's unity that's not based on where we live. It's, it's not based on, on uh, how we act or how much uh, our, our opinions about different things, right? Those things may differ. Our unity comes through our common sharing in Christ. That's how we're able to have unity in a divided world. Because the one thing we have in common, our faith in Christ, overcomes and is greater than the things that may divide us. We're going to hear a lot over these next several weeks from Ephesians chapter 4. This is going to be kind of one of those overarching themes throughout the series. And so if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open to Ephesians chapter 4 with me. I'm going to read verses 3 through 6 for us. Again, that's Ephesians 4, 3 through 6. Paul is speaking here and he says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. See, Paul here in Ephesians is stressing how important it is for us to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Now, first of all, it's important to notice here that unity itself is a gift from God. It is the unity of the Spirit. And so, born, if, if you are a believer in Christ, that means that you have been given God's Spirit. His Holy Spirit lives in you. And so it is that Holy Spirit that lives in us as believers that draws us together. Right? That is the one thing that we have in common. God dwelling among us. And so unity itself is a gift of God, but it must be maintained by us believers. So he says, maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And so we have a part to play in that. Unity isn't just going to happen, but we can, we can work towards unity, the unity that God gives us by the way that we act and the way that we think. See, we have a part to play in keeping that, main, keeping that unity going. And we can either help or hinder the unity that we experience in Christ by the way we treat one another. See, unity itself is a part of God's very character and nature. That's why Paul goes on to say uh, that 
There is one body and one spirit. And so on throughout those verses. Now notice how many times he says the word one. Right? I've, I've, you, you should know that when you're reading your Bible and you see a word repeated, you should pay attention to it. And here Paul repeats the word one seven times in these three short verses. So there must be something important going on here. The very nature and character of God is one. He is three in one. Right? He is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Three persons in one God. And I believe Paul is is specifically using that word one because it harkens back to a very important passage in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, what is commonly known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. See, it's it's in God's very nature and character to be one, to be united. And He is united in His will. He is united in His character. And so... If we want to reflect God's character in this world, then we too must be united. We must be one. And I believe that the more that we understand our faith, the more that we understand who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us, the greater our unity will be. That's why over the next several weeks we're going to be focusing on what it means to be one in Christ. Because the, the greater we're able to understand that, the greater we're going to be able to maintain that unity that comes through the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to start today by talking about what it means to be children of God and how that impacts not only our own understanding of our relationship with the Lord, but our relationship with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, Christian unity is grounded in our shared identity as children of God. Our unity is grounded in our shared identity as children of God. And the Holy Spirit plays an important role in that. Notice what he says here, going back to Romans chapter 8. In fact, Romans 8 as a whole, this whole chapter could be a very helpful chapter for us, but we're going to focus on just a few verses. But before we get to verses 14 through 17, in verse 11, it says, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who... He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. Right? So the very Spirit of God, the very Spirit that raised, that gave life to Christ's body in the tomb now resides in us. That's pretty amazing. And then, and then going on to verse 14 where we pick up in our passage today, it says those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The very Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in all of us, all believers. And the Holy Spirit is given to believers. And notice there's no distinction here between like a first class and second class Christian, right? All believers have been given the Spirit of God. There's no distinction between maturity or immaturity, young and old, men or women. If you have put your faith in Christ, the Savior and Lord, He has given you His Holy Spirit to live in you. And that is the very, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit is the defining characteristic of God's people. Take, a, take a, a walk through the book of Acts and you can see over and over again that it is the, the Holy Spirit is the defining mark, characteristic of what it means to put your faith in Christ. That is what defines the people of God. And one of the functions of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is to help them understand that they are, in fact, children of God. And so in Romans eight fourteen and 15, he says... Those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. You see, the Holy Spirit makes us sons, not slaves. This term, adoption to sonship, is actually a legal term that Paul is using here. It's not gendered language as we think about it today. It doesn't exclude women from the people of God. But sons in Paul's day had a legal right to inheritance. And so that term adopted to sonship means that a person was given legal standing to be considered a son in that family. They were given all the same legal rights and privileges that a natural born son would have. And so when Paul says the Holy Spirit brings about our adoption to sonship, he's, he's telling us that in Christ, 
and through His Holy Spirit, we are made children of God, just as if we were never separated from Him in the first place. As if we were natural-born children and all the rights and privileges that comes with it. You see, slaves have to work for their place in the family, don't they? Even when, cho- even when treated with dignity and respect, they were not considered members of the family because their worth was based on what they could do. Their worth was based on what they could achieve and do. Sons and children in general were part of the family. Their status as children was not dependent on what they could do. Their status was based on their relationship to their parents, to their father. And so because of that, they are secure. They don't have to fear losing their place in their family, but they can rest secure in the knowledge that they are children of God. This term, Abba, Father, Abba is an Aramaic word that's just transliterated into the English because we don't really have a great word for it. Now, the word means father or dad, um, but it describes a close, intimate relationship. But it's not really childish, like some people would say daddy, like a young kid would say daddy to their father. It's, it's, it's that sort of intimate relationship, but it's not childish either because it's a term that adult children would use for their father. And so it, it connotates a, a very close personal relationship, an intimate relationship, an endearing, it's an endearing phrase. And, and Paul here is instructing us. He says that when we are made children of God, we relate to him as a, as a loving child relates to a loving parent. God is no longer distant or uncaring, but he is our Abba Father. And through that, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we now have a close personal relationship with God. It's grounded in his love for us, not out of fear of punishment. As I said, slaves feared punishment for disobedience, but sons rest in the knowledge that they are loved and accepted already. Notice here it says, by him we cry out, Abba, Father. Again, that's a reference to the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is he who enables us to have a close personal relationship with the Father. Jesus, during his life in John 16, 7, he was talking about how he had to go to be with the Father. And he told his disciples that it is going to be good that he goes. And you may ask, why would it be good for Jesus to go be with the Father? Because only after Jesus went through his death and his resurrection and the ascension, only after those things took place, was the Holy Spirit given. And so it is good because now the Holy Spirit dwells within the believer. And it doesn't get any closer than that. And so we are made sons, not slaves. The other thing that the Holy Spirit does for us as children of God is that he makes our salvation certain. Verse 16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So the Holy Spirit not only enables us to become children, right? He applies the salvation of Christ to our lives, but then he also reassures us that our salvation is secure. One common question we all ask ourselves at different points in our lives is, can we know with confidence that we are saved? And I stand before you today and tell you, yes, you can know with confidence that you are a child of God because Scripture testifies to it. The Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that this is true. And I don't say that like it's a a mystical, subjective feeling. It is an internal working of the Holy Spirit where He confirms the promises of God to us and enables us to trust and believe that they are in fact true. The Holy Spirit confirms our salvation by reminding us of what Jesus taught us and reminding us of what Jesus did for us. Again, in those same chapters, John chapter 14, 15 to 16, Jesus talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. And one of the things he says the Holy Spirit will do is remind us of the things that Jesus said, that, that the Holy Spirit will not speak on his own, but he will teach us all, lead us into all truth. And so the whole, one of the Holy Spirit's job is to uh, confirm that God's word is true and that his promises are true. And That's so important for us, especially when we have feelings of doubt, when we have 
moments of, of uncertainty in our lives. See, one of the terms that Scripture uses for Satan, the enemy, is he is the accuser of the brethren. You see, one of Satan's tricks is he gets us to doubt God's promises. He, he accuses us and, and gets us to doubt our standing with God, that, that God can't really possibly love us like he does. So Satan is the accuser, but the Holy Spirit is the advocate. He's the one who comes alongside us and testifies to our hearts that God's word is in fact true. And so we need to put our hope in the promises that God makes us. That's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit testifies to us that our salvation is secure. And so when we feel condemned, the Holy Spirit reminds us that in Romans 8, 1, it says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we feel like God will not possibly forgive us again for our sin, he reminds us of 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When we feel like we have to earn our place in God's family, he reminds us of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. When we wonder what, if we've truly been given eternal life, he reminds us of Jesus' words in John three fourteen and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him has eternal life. And if we doubt we really are loved, beloved children of God, he reminds us of 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. See, the Holy Spirit testifies to our spirit. He reminds us that God's word is true, even when it doesn't seem true or feel true in our lives. And so the Holy Spirit brings those things to mind and and tells us that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that we are in fact children of God, even on those hard days. And the Holy Spirit testifies also simply by his mere presence. Passages like 1 Corinthians 1.22 and Ephesians 1.13 both testify that the Holy Spirit is given as as a guarantee or seal of our salvation. Therefore, if you have the Holy Spirit, you are in fact saved. I said earlier that this is an internal working of the Spirit. And again, that's a a hard thing for us to to confirm, right? There's not not like a, a mechanism that we can point to and we can see the way that the Holy Spirit works in our lives. But let me ask you this. How do you know that you love someone? Right? There's, there's not like a mechanism that you can point to that confirms that. But you can see it by the evidence of your life. It's an intentional choice that is confirmed by actions and affections. You, you know you love someone when you align your life accordingly. And so in the same way, you know that you have the Holy Spirit and are God's children by the fruit that it produces in your life. You see evidence of it by the way that it has changed you and transformed you from the inside out. And finally, as God's children, we also share in Christ's inheritance. We are sons, our salvation is certain, and therefore we also share in Christ's inheritance. In Romans 8, he closes the, in verse 17 by saying, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. See, as children, we are guaranteed an inheritance. Not a physical inheritance, but a spiritual inheritance. We are guaranteed the eternal life and salvation from sin because of what Christ has done for us. With the promised land, the the physical inheritance of God's people. But our inheritance is not tied to a specific land or place anymore. It's spiritual, not physical. It is a participation in the kingdom of God. But notice here what this means for us. If we are co-heirs with Christ, it means that everything we have, we owe to Him. Everything we have, every spiritual blessing, every every good gift in this life is is a result of Christ's work for us on our behalf. 
We are co-heirs with Christ. The only reason we have an inheritance is because of Christ and what he's done for us. And so to be a co-heir with Christ is to participate in his suffering and his glory. You cannot experience glory without the suffering either. Right? We always want, in life, we want the good without the bad, don't we? We want all the benefits without the hard work. But here, Paul clearly teaches us that if we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, we will share in His suffering so that we may also share in His glory. Jesus suffered for us, and so we must be willing to suffer for Him as well. That means we need to die to ourselves and to this world. The, the sinful and selfish desires that sometimes rule over us. We need to learn to live against the grain and live for Christ. It also means that we must be willing to embrace suffering for his name. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us, reminds us that blessed are those who, who suffer persecution for Christ, for his name. In fact, he says that we will rejoice when that happens. See, living faithfully for Jesus is becoming increasingly unpopular in our world today, but it has never exactly been the popular thing. And it may sometimes lead to ridicule and derision. Suffering is hard, but it is worth it. Suffering is often the crucible that the Lord uses to shape and mold us to be more like Him. As you continue to read through the book of, or the Romans chapter 8, you see that suffering produces the kind of character that God desires in us. In verse 18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And of course, later on in the chapter, the famous verses 28 and 29, we know that in all things, yes, even our suffering, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For though, though those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. See, God uses all things, even our suffering, to make us more like him. And so we are children of God. And if we are children, that means that we are sons, not slaves, that we, that we are certain of our salvation and that we are to share in Christ's inheritance. But that's not all either. You see, throughout this passage, there's, there's something that doesn't quite come through in the English translations very well. And that is when Paul is, is addressing the Romans, he's not addressing them as individuals. He's addressing them as a group. In other words, it's the plural form of these words that are being used throughout these verses. We tend to individualize them. We make it about ourselves. But Paul is being very clear here that this is about our status, our identity as children of God. It's the plural y'all, not the individual you. So as we close our time together, I want you to take a look around the sanctuary. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said that these things are true about not only you, but the person sitting in the pew next to you, about the person sitting in the back 40 or in the balcony. Right? These things are true of all believers. If the person you're looking at is a believer, they are also filled with the Holy Spirit. They are also children of God. They are no longer slaves that need to earn their keep, but children of God. Their salvation is just as certain as yours. And they're also heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ. And it has to change the way we treat each other, doesn't it? It has to change. That person is no longer a stranger, but a brother or sister in Christ. And so we shouldn't look down on someone who doesn't quite get it yet, but as a person to come alongside and encourage them in their walk with Christ. We don't get jealous of them when, when someone seems further along than us, but we celebrate what God is doing in their life. When we disagree, we do so as family, brothers and sisters who choose to work through their disagreement and come out stronger and closer on the other side. See, that's why this stuff matters. If we truly see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, we'll begin to treat each other differently. It will help us overcome our differences and work together for the sake of Christ and his gospel. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this word, and I thank you that you have made us children of God through the, the sacrifice of your Son and through the work of your Holy Spirit. May we continue to learn what that means for us as individuals, but for us also as a church family. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song together.
of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace.